0: host of the Joy of Membership podcast. Welcome to this week's episode. Before we jump in, I wanted to make sure that you know that I do a free live training most Thursdays at noon central. It's called the Care Points Difference. In this training, I share what care points are, why they matter, and how to construct them so that what you're doing becomes more naturally attractive to those you serve. And equally important, there are ways to set up those care points so that your membership becomes easier to run, which is critically important if you're running your organization with a lean team or with mostly volunteers. Providing a great member experience can seem like this thing that just automatically happens because you're of course committed to doing the right things for your members, but people get busy balls get dropped, committee chairs change, and sometimes the right things simply don't get done. Intentionally designing care points changes that, and the effect is magical. Your members will feel the difference, and you'll love the result. Faster joins, more enthusiastic engagement, and renewals that happen without hesitation. If you'd like to join me for the next training, you'll find the details and a sign-up form at joyofmembership.com slash carepoints. I'd love to see you there. And now, with no further ado, let's get on with this week's show. I'm joined this week by Becky Carlton. Becky is responsible for Strategy and Partnerships at MAPSA, Michigan's Charter School Association. MAPSA is a nonprofit membership organization that advocates for 300 charter schools in the state of Michigan. Becky describes her work as ensuring that internal strategies and programming align with member needs. She also actively looks to connect with external partners for the benefit of members. MAPSA has done a lot of work over the past year to build new ways for members to interact and get support, which is something that is so clearly important for all of us to do as membership builders. Becky has such terrific energy and passion for the work. I know you're really going to enjoy getting to know her. Let's hop in.
1: Hey, Becky, welcome to the show. I'm so glad you could be with me here today. Hi, thank you so much for having me.
0: Well, why don't we start where we always do, with you sharing with the listeners
1: who you are and who you help. My name is Becky Carlton. I am the Director of Strategy and Partnerships at MAPSA. We are the Michigan Charter School Association. We are a membership and advocacy association, which makes us unique in that We serve charter schools across the state. We have over almost 300 schools across the state. And then we also advocate and we rally our members for grassroots engagement stuff, as well as other member benefits like a traditional association.
0: So tell us what led you
1: to be involved with charter schools. That is a complicated answer, but I'm going to try to take a stab at it. Growing up, I always wanted to be a music teacher. I excelled at music very early on. I was very gifted. I actually went to uh, Michigan State University for music specifically. And then I kind of had a big change of heart in terms of music as a career, even whether it was in a school or not, is a challenging career. And I actually switched to early childhood development. I did a lot of work with volunteering with younger youth, worked in early childhood for a few years, and then Eventually found myself here at a level where I feel like I can still make impact. I'm not in the classroom with kiddos, but more of that high level impact and making sure educators who are currently out there working with kids have the resources and advocacy that they need to do do their job the best that they can.
0: Well, I think it's always interesting to kind of hear where people have come from, like their path of development into the association space, because it's always so diverse (laughs) of people who end up working in this field. So this past year has surely been interesting for your organization. Tell us about what this year has been like.
1: Yeah. So going back even before this past school year, after COVID hit back in March, as you know, across the nation, schools shut down in general. And so as a public education reform association, we just kind of had to pivot really quick and really cater to our members so that they could serve their communities the best that they could. And so this past year has just been a whirlwind. I mean, our educators have just plain and simple stepped up. They did the hardest job that so many of us, right, working here in my comfortable home office, didn't have to take those scary risks. And many of our members across the state, again, if you're familiar with Michigan, you can use your hand as a location device. We have some schools in the Upper Peninsula that are very rural. And then we have a large concentration of schools in Detroit and Flint. Every area, just because of COVID numbers, was different in terms of their comfortability and teaching in the classroom or not. But what we saw was our members step up, serving their community in the way that was best for them which was unique again across the state depending on where they were at and as maps you know we have a small very small nimble team we're a small team of 7 we serve over 300 members we really just our main goal was to say how do we connect our members now more than ever like many associations we did a lot of events in person activities before so that was our primary goal this past year was how do we connect people virtually in a way that's not as organized to really give that free Time to share best practices, ask questions, and lean on each other.
0: So, when we initially were talking a, a few weeks ago and you were kind of sharing your story, you said that some great things in retrospect have come out of this period.
1: Can you share a little bit about that? Yeah, I think, you know, in every horrible, bad situation, sometimes there's something that's learned in that. And I think COVID especially, there's a few things. Number one, I feel like our educators are more open to technology than they've ever been. It was very interesting last, you know, March of of 2020, it was very hard to get our members using a computer, especially teachers, right? Because they weren't used to that. They weren't your typical nine to five business person sitting in front of a desk and a computer. They weren't that comfortable with technology. Well, this year changed that. So, technology has been a key aspect in delivering information and connecting people. I think the other thing too is choice. I think many parents, you know, originally. You choose your school based on kind of what your needs are for your kid. You have your traditional public school system, which is kind of your assigned school. And then, if you're lucky enough to have some free public charter schools around that give you maybe a unique niche choice, whether that's science and math, music, or arts, those can be available to parents. And I think this past year, something we saw for our members was that our schools in general stepped up. They're smaller, they tend to be smaller organizations. They're not as large as a traditional public school, so they can be more flexible and pivot more quickly just because of their structure. And so we saw a lot of our members serving students in person at a much higher rate than traditional public schools. And so I think that was kind of an aha moment for a lot of parents. Some of our schools are serving members digitally or, or virtually well, and some were not. But how do we get the best instruction to each kiddo that meets their needs? And some is virtual and some is not. So it's having that flexibility. That was a big thing we've learned too, It's just how technology can be incorporated in the education industry.
0: Well, I think I've mentioned this on the podcast previously, but my husband is a superintendent of a public school district and I know just from watching the decisions that he's had to make over the past, you know, 15 months or so, just you know, how difficult this period has been and how nimble the school districts have had to be and how they've had to really try to um, address concerns on both sides of the fence with some parents really wanting their kids to be in person and other parents being really fearful about sending their kids to in person school i mean it's it's been a real challenge unlike anything he's ever seen in his career definitely.
1: and not just not just serving parents but also as a school you're serving teachers your staff had that same issue right some are more comfortable than others based on their previous health experience based on mental health all kinds of variables are at play and so yes that was something we saw too is I think in general school leadership kind of looking at teachers in a different way to say how do we make sure you feel safe how do you feel inclusive in this environment so that you can do the best job you can do.
0: So if we set aside this past year, year and a quarter, your role with the association is very much focused on growth and strategic partnerships and things like that. Can you talk a little bit about how you approach growing membership or growing the association's work?
1: Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. We are fortunate that we have about 300 uh, schools here in the state, and we maintain about an 86% membership rate. And I would say this past year has been the strongest we have ever had membership. I think just the way we were able to pivot and get out clear communication to our members was key and seeing the value of us as an association. You know, we're always looking, especially at a pro, through a programming lens of how do we serve members? And, and this is where I think we wear this dual hat, right? We're a membership advocacy association. So the membership piece, as many people know, right, it's a, you're serving a member, you're listening to members, you're trying to give them what they need and want. As an advocacy association, what's interesting with us is we advocate for education reform for all schools. We want what's best for kids, period. Sometimes, that may be in a maybe maybe short-term sense, our schools might not want some of the things that we're advocating for. So it's always this balance that we're trying to play in terms of, we can see a broader picture most times of like what's best for kids. And our schools are kind of operationally doing their day-to-day stuff. It's sometimes hard to get them to kind of look up and say, okay, but do you see this down the road, how this would be better for all kids and, and getting that buy-in from members is is really important as an advocacy lens and then the programming piece i mean i think the largest thing was the in-person events this past year and so we pivoted we built kind of a private network through mighty networks and it was an amazing tool we've gotten amazing feedback from many of our members our initial goal was i think a thousand members through this first school year and we hit about a uh, 1000 four months in after launch. So our members just picked it up and said, yes, we need access to each other now more than ever. So that's something that we'll continue to focus on and serving our members and, and growing that membership.
0: Oh, that's really awesome. I love Mighty Networks as a tool. I have a number of clients who use that for their interactive community element, and it's been great. So What advice or lessons have you learned along the way in terms of being a membership builder? What lessons have you learned around um, engaging members, growing members that you think might be helpful to other associations?
1: I think I see many associations doing this, but we always take a geographic approach to connection for our members. And again, just because in Michigan, there's so much diversity in terms of you have Native American reservations up in the Upper Peninsula where they have charter schools. And then again, you have down in Detroit, everyone's so different. And so we use that geographic approach where we host the hubs inside of Mighty Network. So we have a geographic hub in each area of the state where school leaders can connect. They meet monthly via Zoom just to say, how's it going? Here's what we're hearing in this community. How are you serving your students? And and what's interesting about that is Sometimes they're competitors with each other. And that's a big goal of ours is to break down those barriers amongst our members, because we know that they are their own best expert at most times. And so if we can get them to talk, if we can get them to grow that relational capacity with each other, then we've done our job because everyone is doing an amazing piece. And if they all just shared each of that amazing piece of ingredient, they could all have this super high successful organization themselves. Oh, I love that. I love that concept. So where can people connect to learn more? Um, On our website, which is charterschools.org. And then on Facebook and Twitter, we are at MI Charters and on Instagram, we're at Charter Schools. Fantastic. I'll make sure those links get put in the show notes. Thank
0: you again so much for your time today, Becky. Really appreciate being able to just learn a little bit more about your organization and I guess how you have excelled in what's been a very difficult 12 to 15 months or so.
1: Thank you again for having me.
0: Joy here back with a few thoughts about this week's episode. I've been doing my podcast for nearly a year now, and I've talked with a lot of guests about how they deliver what members want. However, I think this week's interview with Becky Carlton might be the first time I've ever heard an organization specifically mention that they sometimes have to advocate for things that members don't want. It was just a quick little blip in the interview, so I don't know if it jumped out at you, but it definitely did for me. Becky said that their organization advocates for reform across all schools, focusing on what's best for kids and for the overall big picture in education. Now, in any field, when a member is immersed in the everyday operations of whatever they do, the amount of bandwidth that they have to make change happen may feel very limited. So I found myself thinking about that a lot after we closed out the conversation. And I'm curious in what ways it might be part of our role as membership leaders to bring that broader perspective for our members. If you are actively doing that, how is it that you frame it for them so that they are more receptive to the work that change might involve? Do you use work groups? Do you use industry updates and bulletins? How is it that you approach it? I'd love to hear what you're doing. Just drop me a line. An email would work great. I'm at joy at joyofmembership.com. And I just really like to compile thoughts from membership organizations on this topic. How is it that you present change to members that, might be important to the industry at large, but maybe requires them to do some work on their end. Maybe they have to make some investments, cost them time or money to do things differently. If you are approaching that now, I would just love to hear about it from you. So that brings us to a close on this week's episode. I will be back next week with another great interview. In the meantime, take care. Hey there, you made it all the way to the end. Bravo to you. I'm back in just one last time to remind you that there's a free one-page PDF available over at the website that shows you more than 20 ways that technology could be supporting your efforts to attract, engage, and retain more members. It's actually broken down into the stages of the member journey, so you'll know exactly where each piece fits. And everything that's on that one pager can actually be automatically done for you with software that costs less than $1,000 per year. So if you haven't already grabbed it, you can get your copy at joyofmembership.com slash tech, joyofmembership.com slash tech, T-E-C-H. Have a great week and I'll see you next time.